everyone. My name is Annalie Bogus, a fourth-year medical student from OHSU interested in emergency medicine, and you're listening to EMAGCAST. hitting on a topic that I've been fascinated with throughout my time in medical school and something I've spent a lot of time thinking about in the last year as I've gone through each of my clinical rotations. While it may seem obvious, something that I've noticed even prior to medical school is that doctors often don't like to talk about the so-called tough stuff. The reality of the job of being a physician is that there are some extremely difficult and emotional moments. There is death, There is cancer, terminal diagnoses, difficult discussions with families, tough patients, trauma, and sometimes even it's just the small stuff that wears on us. In emergency medicine in particular, we're often faced with these types of situations, and I've noticed that doctors don't typically like to talk about them. As a medical student, it's hard to know what to do with our own emotions and how to acknowledge them while also continuing to learn and do our jobs. So I've asked myself and wondered many times over the past few years, If people aren't talking about these experiences and how to get through them, then how are we as medical students supposed to learn these coping skills and how to get through them ourselves? So we're here today with Dr. Lainey Yaris, an emergency physician from my home institution of OHSU, to talk about these topics that are often so tough for those of us within the medical field to broach. Lucky for us here at EMIGCAST, Dr. Yaris shares a passion for self-care and emotional well-being and has graciously offered to share with us some of her own coping mechanisms and personal strategies for making it through the emotional difficulties of the department. So here is Dr. Yaris. So I'm Lainey Yaris. I'm the residency director for the emergency medicine residency program here. And I also serve as um, co-director of our education research fellowship and have involvement in the School of Medicine, mainly in um, teaching the EPA curriculum, teaching and assessing the EPA curriculum for incoming residents, which is a new initiative. Thanks again for being here. My hope for today is that we can have a candid discussion about some of the tough topics that come up in emergency medicine um, and in the emergency department and kind of how you've learned to handle some of those difficult situations throughout your career, you know, where you started as a med student and some ways that you've learned to manage these situations today and kind of open a platform for having that discussion. Where this has come from for me is that it's it's been difficult through my rotations to know how to both acknowledge the tough situations that come up in medicine, for instance, the death of a patient or having difficult conversations with families, and how to acknowledge that in a professional way while also acknowledging that it is a difficult thing to witness Yeah, well, thank you for inviting me to talk about this because I think that this is a really important issue. And I don't recall having a lot of open, candid conversations in medical school with colleagues or residents or attendings about this, but I definitely thought about it a lot. Um, When you start medical school, you're really kind of an outsider to the culture. And so I personally felt like I witnessed and observed and experienced a lot of the patient interactions and kind of the difficult things in a very different way from the residents and the attendings who were really kind of used to it. 
Although as a student, I kind of struggled with knowing, is it okay that I'm feeling these feelings? Nobody else seems to be feeling them. Is it okay to bring them up? What happens when I start feeling emotional with a patient? I feel like over the years, I have felt more comfortable with what is right for me and have found ways to deal with them. I think you see a lot of examples among the more experienced providers and how they deal with it, ranging from providers who don't really seem to acknowledge the difficult emotions at all, either they're not perceiving them or they just have a way of compartmentalizing them, to providers who are really comfortable with experiencing the emotion, acknowledging it, and figuring out how to move on. And I think it's such a personal thing to figure out how that process feels right to you. We all have different ways of experiencing expressing emotions. And so I do think in some senses, it's very much an individual journey, but um, I'm happy to talk about my experiences. It's a tough topic to talk about. And I think it's always been the culture of medicine to not acknowledge those things. My perception is that that culture is kind of shifting, which I think is great. I don't know if that's been your experience as well. I think it is shifting. I mean, I think as a student, I definitely saw examples of what I felt were authentic acknowledgement of the emotions. But I feel like I see many more examples now than I did when I was a student over 10 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, I'm somebody who has thought a lot about what uh, my value system is and what I find meaningful in medicine. And for me, in medicine and outside of medicine, um, some some of the things that have the most meaning for me are those interactions, those in, those authentic interactions that we have with people. And so I do feel like I'm somebody who has always um, acknowledged the things that are difficult or the emotional aspects of the human experience that we're acknowledging in medicine. Well, you mentioned that there were some times in medical school that you observed other colleagues that had good and not great ways of kind of broaching that subject and talking about it. What were some good methods that you saw or that you witnessed or even today that you see of people taking time to acknowledge that that tough stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think that, again, it's very personal, so this is just my opinion, but the times when I have seen it work in a way that feels healthy and productive to me for both the provider and the patient or family is when something happens that you have an emotional reaction to as a provider. It's obvious to you most of the time. It's Mm -hmm. obvious to the patient and their family. And so I think the best practice is just to acknowledge it in some way. And sometimes it's something really intense, like a death notification. And sometimes it's just hearing somebody's journey or the things that they're struggling with. So the examples that I've seen and what I try to do when I feel like I kind of have the best version of myself that day is try to acknowledge it um, by if I get emotional or if I get tearful saying um, something to the extent of, I'm really touched by your story or gosh, this must be really difficult for you or thank you for sharing that for me. This is a really um, emotional experience for you and I'm sorry that you're going through this. Something to, to, to reflect that I'm feeling empathetic and understanding of the journey that they've gone through. So the, the focus isn't on my emotions, but more an explanation that my emotions are reflecting how hard things have been from you and as like a human being, I'm acknowledging and appreciating that. And then oftentimes for me, or in my observations, it seems like once you get that out there and acknowledge it, then everybody feels okay with the emotion, and then you can go on and and continue on the focus being that you're there for them and this is about them. So I think I've seen, when I've seen times when it's, this process doesn't go well, it's when that, those emotions come up and 
the provider tries to hide those or disregard those and then it's uncomfortable because there's these emotions and then the kind of the focus gets put on the provider when you really do need to be there for the patient. That's my approach is basically acknowledge it, voice it in a way that um, reflects that, that you're there for the patient and then continue to be there as their provider. Sounds like if, if you don't acknowledge it, it kind of becomes an elephant in the room and can take away from what the patient really needs is, is your care and, mm-hmm. and compassion. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's it's so fascinating to be an observer as well and watch all of the different styles that people have developed and that people have of dealing with that. And it is, it's such a learning process that is so based on observation. It's very different than a lot of the other things we learn in medical school. Yeah. I mean, I think advice that I would give a medical student is just to be really open and observant when you're in those difficult situations. And I still learn a ton from watching medical students and nurses and residents and colleagues and social workers with the way that they conduct these difficult conversations. And it's more about um, finding phrases and ways of interacting that resonate with you and then kind of continuing to adopt those into your practice since I don't think there is a right or a wrong way. You know, I don't want to make assumptions, but I assume that you're continuing to learn even mm-hmm. today. And I, yeah. I can't imagine that that ever goes away. I don't think so. I mean, there's always unexpected situations. There's always times when you react in an unexpected way. And then times when you reflect back about how you reacted and can kind of objectively say, was this really the best thing for the patient? Um, mm-hmm. Is this what I needed? Is this what the patient needed? And you can kind of try to figure out how to tweak your <laughs> tweak your emotional reaction practice moving forward. Yeah, kind of learn from previous <laughs> yeah. experience. Absolutely. Yeah. You give the example of being in with a patient and reflecting back on them and sharing your compassion with them. What about those situations where you don't have that opportunity? How is that different for you in, in terms of kind of how you go forward from there? I think that everybody responds differently to those emotions. And for some people processing it in the moment is necessary in order to move on and finish the shift. And for some people, processing it in the moment kind of um, starts this cascade that can make it very difficult to finish a shift. So it's important to know yourself. But I find that if I haven't had the opportunity to kind of process that and acknowledge that emotion with the patient and the family, if it's a situation like the most traumatic situations I see, which are pediatric codes or um, cases that don't go well and there's no ability to process that with the family afterwards, I usually take a time out and process it with my colleagues. And I've had times where I have, you know, a pediatric code and have been able to be there for the family afterwards and do the death notification in a way that doesn't place any emphasis on my emotion. But then as soon as I walk out of the room, it kind of hits me. And I know I need to take a moment and experience those emotions. And um, in the pediatric ED, what I find really helpful is working with the nurses, kind of the nurses and I will just go into a, a room and sometimes we just talk about it, sometimes we cry, sometimes we hug each other, or sometimes we use humor. And then that like processing and just brief debriefing works for me. I'm able to then transition to, okay, now i got to hear, be here for all the rest of my well patients. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it doesn't work for me to really ignore it and move on to the end of the shift because unless I have some brief processing of it, I can't switch gears. 
But for some people, it's get to the end of the shift and then journal or talk about it afterwards or go for a really hard run or listen to music or go home and be with your family. So I think finding the method that works for you is important. I think some of the situations that I've seen that I've been so impressed with have been when, you know, somebody says, hey, this is tough. Like, let's take a minute. And that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you need to spend a ton of time or that everybody needs to participate or anything, but just acknowledging it and throwing it out there that this is hard and that's okay to feel like this is hard and and debriefing about it, if if people would like, I think is really therapeutic in and of itself and really important. And I think another aspect of that is even if you're someone who doesn't need to debrief, when you become the attending or the team leader or the co-leader, recognizing that your team may need that to be able to move on and that you all need to work together to care, take care of all of the rest of the patients is an important consideration too. Um, one of the most memorable experiences that I can think about in my entire career was a very difficult pediatric code in the middle of the night. And um, for whatever reason, I was not in an emotional place during the code or after the code. And after the code, which was tough, um, both because of the medical aspects of it, the conditions of the child, and the family's reaction afterwards, I was really focused on, okay, I need to now take care of all of these kids who've been waiting for me for the last hour. So I kind of left the room and was going about taking care of all the other children. And then one of the nurses kind of pulled me aside and said, we need you in this room. And they were pointing to the room where the code had been. And when I walked into the room, the three nurses who had been there during the code were all standing there. The family had left. Um, the child was actually still there. And the nurses were just crying. Oh, wow. And they said, we just are all really still processing this and crying, and we thought you should be here with us. And that at that moment, I realized, even though I hadn't yet needed to kind of process it emotionally, like they really did, and we were able to kind of acknowledge the life of this child and share the details and talk about it in a way that was brief but really meaningful. And when I think back about one of the best examples of teamwork and just kind of acknowledging how tough the work we is that we do is, I think about that night. Mm-hmm. So having that acknowledgement that sometimes you need it, sometimes your colleagues need it, and just as, as the physician or the team leader, that's part of your job too to recognize what everybody else needs, and especially in emergency medicine, which is like such a team-oriented field. What are some observations that you've had of medical students or residents learning how to process this information? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is just being okay with the fact that sometimes experiences strike you in a different way as a medical student than the rest of the team. And I'm specifically talking about the resuscitations, either medical or trauma resuscitations, that we tend to see every day. And so it It sounds bad, but there's a part of it that just becomes routine work to us, and we don't always have that emotional experience right away, and we don't always realize what it would be like to be a student who this is the very first time you've seen a code. And so sometimes there's even demonstrations of coping mechanisms, such as humor, or um, kind of talking about the intellectual aspects of the case that can seem unprofessional or callous to a medical student. And feeling comfortable to approach the person in the room that you feel safest with afterwards, whether it's a resident or a attending or a nurse, and just saying, gosh, this was a tough case. Can we talk about it a little bit? Or having other mechanisms, such as talking to a fellow student or journaling about it, I think can be helpful. 
And rather than feeling like there's something wrong with me, that everybody else is fine with this, and I feel really affected by it, um, realizing that this is a normal human experience and the way that we get desensitized to it throughout our training is actually abnormal. But I think the biggest theme that I see with students is just being timid or being hesitant to, to ask when they need a debriefing. That's certainly, for me personally, like one of the toughest things, and it's a hard thing to know how to navigate to say, you know, I haven't, I don't know how to do this yet. I don't know how to handle this. Um, that can be really difficult, but I think that's where like opening these, having these conversations and being honest with your colleagues in terms of your nurses and your residents and all of that and creating a platform for opening that discussion and making it like a comfortable discussion to have, I think is valuable and for everybody and it trickles down to the students too to who recognize that it's an okay thing to talk about and to bring up. Mm-hmm. And on the flip side of that, I think some of the most impressive student behaviors in these situations that I've seen have to do with um, acknowledging and kind of harnessing the unique perspective that the medical student brings to the team. And as somebody who's not yet desensitized and who's, who still can identify with the patient experience maybe more than the rest of the providers, I think medical students have a tremendous power to role model to the team humanistic and professional behaviors that keep our practices strong. Um, so I've seen students do that with sometimes when a situation is unfolding and nobody is really recognizing how this is affecting a family member. I've see, seen students independently go up to that family member and acknowledge how hard it is and offer support, which is tremendously helpful. I've seen students, um, when there's when there's normal coping skills such as humor that can be sometimes unprofessional, I've seen students kind of call the team on that in a respectful but very valuable way. Um, and I've seen students kind of bring up the fact that things were difficult. And so it, it can be very difficult as a student because you feel vulnerable, you feel like there's this hierarchy, you feel like you shouldn't intervene. But just recognizing that when you do that in a respectful and positive way, it can have a tremendous positive impact on the team and patient care. I hope empowers students to not be afraid to speak up. I mean, notoriously, emergency medicine is often cited as having the highest burnout rate. I wonder if this sometimes lack of coping surrounding these tough situations is kind of a contributing factor. I wonder what your thoughts are on that. I think the early literature suggested that burnout was high among emergency physicians. And as our field was progressing we kind of pushed back on that and said, oh, this, we don't believe this literature. This is probably because these people you know, weren't really trained in emergency medicine. They were trained in other fields and then chose emergency medicine for the lifestyle and grandfathered in. And once we do good studies of people who chose emergency medicine and were trained in emergency medicine, we won't see this anymore. And unfortunately, more recent studies have continued to show that emergency medicine is one of the highest specialties for burnout. So I think it's a true phenomenon. I think that some of the contributing factors are um, the number of clinical hours that people work. It's We work fewer hours than other specialties, but it's uniquely challenging. 
Um, and you have so many stresses and pressure. You enter your shift, and as you know, as any student who's kind of been in the emergency department has observed, you are essentially running the entire shift. You're doing a lot of communicating. All of the communication encounters are difficult encounters. You're communicating with patients who are at their most vulnerable. You're, con you're communicating with consultants who are being pulled in many different directions, and oftentimes you're finding yourself having to advocate for what is right for the patient. And alongside that, you um, are operating in time pressures with little information, and you're prone to errors, and you're prone to being judged or criticized by other providers. So there are so many different ways <laughs> that that can be stressful. I think that burnout is improving as we kind of recognize that it is a real threat, and we start nationwide specialty-specific initiatives to try to improve burnout, but I still have a lot of concern about burnout for residents, for faculty, for community providers. Yeah, it's it's a troubling thing to see, and to as a student, oftentimes when I say I'm going into emergency medicine, that'll be the first thing people say to me and be like, oh, good luck with that burnout rate you know, that pushback that you were talking about, I think it's kind of, for people that love emergency medicine and love their job, it's hard to hear to, to you know, I'm expected to just burn out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it can be, a, it's a tough thing to come into. And I do feel it's preventable. Um, I think the key is going into this field knowing I'm going to be faced with these stressors and kind of having a plan for how you approach that. Uh, and I, I think that the more we learn, the, the better we're able to prevent it. So I, I don't discourage students from going into emergency medicine because of that. I do really probe them and explore with them their reasons for wanting to go into emergency medicine. And I think if you go in it for the right motivators, that you're less prone to burnout. Um, but it's, it's still, even if you go into emergency medicine for the right reasons and you're aware of the risk and you have really good coping strategies and a great wellness plan, I still think it's something that everybody is going to deal with at some point in their career. Absolutely. And I think that's true for a lot of specialties. I for agree. medicine in general, I don't think that's always specific to emergency medicine. I think it's just kind of been highlighted. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Yeah. yeah. I think one of the things that's important to think about in burnout, too, is that it's not always just the amount of time that you're working. Um, it doesn't, burnout doesn't tend to correlate with your workload. It, I think, correlates more with the integration between what you're doing in your work and what you're doing in your life and the amount of time that you spend doing things that are meaningful. So some of the strategies that can be really helpful um, are making sure that you give yourself space when you're not working that much, but for whatever reason you're feeling that burnout, um, being flexible to kind of change your duties around. I gave a talk on wellness at a national meeting a couple of years ago, and I reviewed the literature in our field, but also the business literature and the psychology literature, and there was an interesting theory that really shifted the focus from this term of work-life balance to work-life integration. So in our field, it's really difficult to say, I'm going to achieve this balance between my work and my life. Because I think for most of us as emergency physicians, it's not just a job that you go to. You can't just shed this identity as an emergency physician. Like You are an emergency physician, and then you see the world as an emergency physician in all the different realms of your life. I'm an ER doctor when I'm in the ER. I'm one when I'm on the playground with my kids. I'm one when I'm riding bikes with my friends, and I can't ever shed that. So rather than this idea of I'm going to find the balance, just recognizing like 
my work is my life and how can I have an integration that allows me time to sleep and time to exercise and time to eat healthy and have good habits and hang out with my friends and my family and feel like no matter what role I'm doing, whether I'm in my emergency physician role or my mom role or my wife role or my friend role, I can be fully present because I have this healthy integration and because I'm coping with the stresses and have good wellness practices. Yeah, that's excellent advice because we hear so much about work-life balance and it almost becomes a joke. It's like, you because exactly what you say, it really is your work is your life and the and you have other interests and other hobbies and other things and relationships. But um, I think, yeah, shifting that to more of an integrative theory is really, it's an interesting way to think about it. And I think the final piece of advice that I have been given and have found extremely helpful is just recognizing that there's no one recipe for wellness success. And a lot of times it has to do with really asking yourself what works for you and then not being afraid to kind of go against conventional wisdom. And little things like realizing if you're a morning person, waking up really early and coming in to get some work done or working on work at home may be so much more productive for you than coming in during the regular work hours or um, realizing that you have to set your own boundaries. Nobody is going to set your boundaries for you. And that goes from everything to how long do I stay and chart after a shift? At what point do I pass off my patients? When do I say yes to a meeting after working a night shift? When do I agree to sign up to be the chaperone on my kid's field trip after (laughs) a night shift? Um, You have to set those own boundaries. And if you rely on other people to do it, you won't have balance or integration. Um, And it changes with different phases of your life, too. And there's sometimes that, like, little life events happen and you think, gosh, this shouldn't be, this shouldn't turn me upside down. But how we experience the stressors in our lives, it doesn't always make sense to us and definitely changes depending on the, the total context. So sometimes you could be dealing with a sick family member and financial stress and, um, you know, a friendship that's, that's struggling, but you can handle it all and you are on your game when you go to the emergency department. And sometimes it's the littlest thing and you just, for whatever reason, are having a hard time focusing and finding balance and giving yourself space to acknowledge that whatever challenge I'm facing, I'm not judging it. I'm not feeling bad about it. I'm just acknowledging that it's there and I'm going to give myself the time that I need to kind of get through this challenge so that I can be my best again. We all, most of us who go into medicine, are really driven and are hard on ourselves. And we feel guilty if we take time for ourselves or we protect our wellness or we focus on our happiness. And when you realize that's not a selfish endeavor, that that's actually making you a better physician, a better colleague, um, a better friend, then I think for, for some of us, it's easier to embrace that at that point because it's like, oh, this isn't just for me. This is for all of my patients. This is for my colleagues. This is for my family that I'm doing this. And then for some reason, that makes it more palatable to us. Traditionally, I think the culture has been go, 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 and you get through it, and you work really hard, and you just deal with it, and mm-hmm. you get through it. Delayed gratification and sacrifice. Exactly. Well, you kind of touched on advice for medical students a little bit earlier, but um, is there any other advice for medical students or young residents going forward and learning these coping strategies and preventing burnout and, and those kinds of themes? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. 
Um, I think that the first step has to do with figuring out what your core values are and what's most important to you in life and figuring out what in emergency medicine is most meaningful to you. I don't, I think that we don't always think about those things. And once you're aware of them, you can, you have a lot of options for the career path that you choose. You can choose a career path that maximizes the time that you spend doing work that's meaningful to you. Beyond that, I think just recognizing, gosh, this is going to be a stressful job. I'm going to be working working nights and weekends. It's going to interfere with my sleep. It's going to interfere with my relationships. It's going to interfere with my social life. And having a plan to approach it is helpful. The things that I see people do who have good wellness habits are making sure that they protect their sleep and making sure that from the very beginning they figure out what matters the most to them in life and then protecting time for that and never feeling like, gosh, this is a stage of my career where I just have to ignore my sleep or I have to ignore my family or my close relationships because that never ends. If you have that approach, it never ends. So from the very beginning, just making sure that you know what's important to you, you protect time from it. And then I honestly think for people going into any field in medicine, um, doing some sort of wellness coaching and time management training is really helpful. I think everybody can benefit from that. Just like um, some people advocate that all marriages will benefit from marriage counseling, you know, kind of preventatively saying, what are the stresses I'm going to face and how can I be aware of them when they're happening and how can I cope with them with somebody who's skilled at facilitating that, I think is a useful practice. Yeah, definitely. That's great advice. Well, thank you so much for meeting with us. It was really great to chat, and I'm just thanks for taking the time. And Thank you. All right, that was a lot that we just covered, so now is time for our key points. Uh, so we talked about honesty regarding the emotional difficulties of the department and that it's an important topic, and learning to manage our own emotions while working is a tough journey, but a personal one, and it's often learned through observation and open discussions. Medical students can play an important role in this process, and we should feel like we're able to ask our colleagues that we feel comfortable with to take some time to debrief if that's something that we need. At the same time, it's important to figure out what works for you with this process and to pay attention to that. Are you the type of person that needs to process things right away to move on? Or are you someone that sets things aside until the end of the shift and then has other methods for processing these emotions? Both are healthy ways of dealing with these events, but knowing yourself is important. Burnout in emergency medicine is a real phenomenon, and while we could have an entire podcast episode about this topic, we touched on some ways of preventing burnout and creating a wellness plan for yourself going into the field to be able to recognize and deal with those inevitable moments of feeling burned out. We also talked about the difference between work-life balance and work-life integration, and that work-life integration may be a more realistic frame of reference for a career where our profession is our life, but learning to integrate and manage the two is an important process. All right, that is all the time that we have for today, but a huge thanks to Dr. Lainey Yaris for sitting down and talking with us about this topic. Happy 4th of July to everybody, and I hope that you have a fun and safe holiday. We'll see you next month on eMakeCast. Thanks for listening to eMidcast.com. 
This podcast represents only the views of its producers and does not represent the views of OHSU or any affiliated institutions. And while we make every effort to broadcast correct information, we're still learning, and we ask that our audiences keep in mind that medicine is a constantly changing science and art. This podcast was made possible by a grant from the Society for Academic Emergency Medicine, who we'd like to thank for their continuing support. We do not accept money from any other sources. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.